Today we are in Acts chapter 20, and we're doing the whole chapter this morning. So I really don't want to delay getting into the Word, but I just want to remind you why we do what we do. We are generally working through some sort of piece of Scripture or passage uh, because, and you'll see today it'll be actually part of uh, Paul's conversation with the Ephesian elders, there's a reason why we do this. We are trying to make sure that we honor God's Word and teach the Bible. And uh, it's really funny, well... I was at a funeral yesterday. That's not the funny part. Uh, and um, I was talking to uh, the guy who passed away, uh, came to this church. Uh, his name was Mark Brombeck. If you met him, uh, he was here really for the last like four years or so. Um, his brother wasn't from this area, but had come and visited our church a couple times. And he gave me one of the best compliments. Uh, he said, you know, I, go, I wish I lived closer. I would love to go to your church. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that. And he's like, yeah, you guys just like, you make the Bible like so interesting and you just like really teach, you teach it. Like you don't, you don't just make us do stuff for the sake of doing stuff. You actually teach the And I was like, hey, thanks a lot, man. I really needed that, that pump up. I appreciate you uh, noticing that and be, I wish you lived here. I wish you were around. But uh, so it's part of what we do uh, to work through Acts uh, like we are right now and go verse by verse and make sure that we don't leave anything out because there are parts of the Bible that... Sometimes pastors would want to skip over, and so we try not to skip over any of it. So we're in Acts chapter 20. We're picking up the story here with Paul, who's been, uh, he just basically started a riot in Ephesus last week. We talked about uh, Corinth and Ephesus were two of the main churches that he had started already. He's on his, uh, about to be on his third, or he's in the middle of his third missionary journey. Um, And so he basically, the first section of this is him moving from one place to another, uh, because remember, his goal is to uh, you know, leave the church in Ephesus and then go back to Jerusalem and then find his way to Rome. That's his, that's his goal. Um, he's going to get there and it's going to happen, just not the way that he thinks. And so chapter 20 is him moving from Ephesus to where he's going. So I'm going to pick this up with uh, verse 1. By the way, if you're in our app and you're wondering where our notes are, they got messed up and our app didn't update this morning because of technology. So um, sorry, there is no notes in the app this morning. We will fix it next week. So uh, chapter 20, verse 1. This is Paul. uh, Just after the Ephesus riot, uh, just after he basically almost got himself, uh, he wanted to go and preach in front of a crowd of people that wanted to kill him. Not the smartest idea. The the riot gets dissipated, and then we pick it up here in chapter 20. So it says, When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for his disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Uh, Because some of the Jews had plotted against him as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by, um, this is where you you earn your your keep as a pastor. Um, I don't know these names as well as I probably should, um, but I'm going to go ahead and do my best to uh, to pronounce him correctly. So, Sopater, son of Pirihus from Berea, uh, Arist- uh, Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica, uh, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and uh, Tychius and Trophimus from the province of Asia. Um, basically, this is the fellowship of the Paul, the fellowship of the, I don't know, sermon. Uh, this is uh, his merry men who are kind of uh, hanging out with him, and he's basically 
got kind of collected people who are traveling with him from the places where he's gone and spoke. Uh, Paul gets this uh, you know, image as this church planter who really wants to start all these churches, and that is accurate. But Paul is also an excellent pastor, and he's encouraging and developing disciples all over the place. And part of what he does is he has people travel with him from time to time to develop them. Now, also, there are plots right now to kill Paul. So I wonder about some of these people if, like, he meets, you know, like a giant dude somewhere in a city. He's like, hey, man, why don't you hang out with me for a little while? Like, you never know. Next city I go into, someone might try to murder me, and then you might be right there for us. Um, There's not much that we know about these guys. We do see a few of them in other places. But I do want to just stop and mention that Aristarchus and Segundus... um, Aristarchus was generally a name that would have been associated with someone who was born, uh, kind of high-born, someone who kind of had some sort of like, we get the word uh, aristocracy from the word, same root word that Aristarchus comes from. And Segundus was actually a name often given to um, someone who was a slave. Uh, you would call your, your sort of most important person, right? You would, they had a, a name that meant first. Segundus essentially means second. Um, and it was a name that was often given to a slave. So it, some people have conjectured that you have here a master and a slave traveling uh, with Paul. And I just want to stop and say, like, okay, obviously we would be completely against slavery in any way. And I wouldn't ever whitewash it in a way to say, like, oh, the slavery in that time frame was different. But I will say that the gospel does not care about your highborn status. Right? I mean, when Paul talks about it in other sections, he says it doesn't matter whether you find yourself a Jew or a Greek, a male or female or slave or free. The gospel is the same to each and every person, whether you're a master or a slave, right? whether you're a male or a female, whether you, all these divisions that they had in their society, the gospel broke through all of those things. So those people who had power and who had money and who had influence, they didn't necessarily always love the gospel because it took them out of a position of power and put them at equal footing with people that they believed were lower than themselves. I mean, even James, as he talks about in his letter, talks about that there was a division in their church between rich people and poor people, that some, some policies began in that church where basically rich people were given the better seats and the poor people were asked to sit in the back, and kind of that wasn't something that James was cool with, right? And so the gospel is kind of a new thing that's breaking through Uh, some of these divisions and some of these uh, cultural kind of issues that are are going on today. And it's something that we need to keep in mind. There aren't classes in the kingdom of God, right? There aren't rich people and poor people. There are just people, right? There aren't, you know, there aren't people who have a better time or an easier time or, you know, like we often joke about that when you're a member here at our church. You don't get like better parking. You don't get a discount on your tithe. If anything, we expect more out of you, right? We expect you to serve. We expect you to be, you know, giving even more when you're a member at, at our church, okay? And so I love the idea that there potentially was two people who would have found themselves in a master-slave relationship who are now equals traveling with Paul. That, that idea, it goes along with the concept of what the gospel was doing at the time. All right, I didn't want to do a sidetrack on slavery either. That doesn't really seem like it's appropriate here. Um, so it says, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. And if you notice, the words start changing to us and we because Luke has rejoined, uh, um, come on brain, has rejoined Paul and is now traveling with him. Okay, so 
Basically, he's now putting himself into the story here. Um, but we sailed from Philippi after the festival on unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. And this section right here, it just makes me feel so much better about where I'm at as a pastor and as a preacher. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Kept on talking on and on, as it was translated in one other. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Euctus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Listen, I love you guys. Uh, every once in a while, I will see somebody starting to nod off. And I just want you to know, I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you made it to church. I know you're tired. I know there's a lot of reasons why you could be tired. If you have kids, I understand that kind of tired that comes along with that. If you work at night, I understand that kind of tired that comes along with that. I'm not going to hate on you. I'm not going to do something you know, while you're sleeping to make you feel stupid or whatever. That's not my goal. That's not what I'm going for. Um, but I just feel great knowing that like one of the most amazing pastors of all time, preachers of all time, had people fall asleep on him while he was preaching. Just makes me feel so much better about myself. Um, and the fact that it was a young person, because I spent basically 20 years of my life trying to keep junior hires engaged in God's Word, and I just love the idea that Paul had a hard time with it too. Um, so it says, uh, who was sinking into a deep sleep uh, as Paul talked on and on, and when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. That is unfortunate. Holy cow. Um, Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then they went upstairs again and broke bread, and everybody went home. No, they ate, and after talking until daylight, he keeps preaching. That's what I'm talking about, man. You guys, you, you're feeling like, man, you drone on and on, and you get to speak for half an hour. Uh, I can't believe that Paul keeps going. Now, why does he keep going? Because he knows he's only there for that time. Paul's trying to pack in as much as he possibly can for these people, and they're doing everything they can. This was a work day. They came from work to listen to Paul speak. He basically was going all night. They just ate some food. I don't know what they ate, but that never helps me, right? You get that, like, settled feeling, and now you're going to even fall asleep even faster. Like, Paul is just trying to take advantage of every second he has with these people. And so he has to heal this kid and then get back to the preaching. It says, the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. The, the gospel is moving and doing things and people are excited about it. And then here's where I really want to spend our time this morning. Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. Um, verse 13. It says, he went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where they were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. And when they met at Asos, he took them aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that we crossed over to uh, Samos and the following day arrived at Miletus. So basically Paul is working his way sort of inland. Uh, instead of using the water to go around, he's working his way across um, and so it says, from Miletus, Paul sent to the Ephesians for the elders of the church. Now, he knows that he's going he's gonna to be within 30 miles of Ephesus, but he chooses not to go to or through Ephesus. 
And I can understand that. Like, part of me wonders why he would choose to have them come to him 30 miles away. Um, but part of me also understands that. I know after I got out of uh, surgery uh, for my uh, heart surgery this year, I, I, there was a, a morning right, kind of right as I got home and got settled and everything where I felt good. And I was thinking, okay, I'll go to church this morning, right? But I knew that if I came here, I wasn't going to have the breath to be able to speak to everybody. I knew everybody would be excited. They'd want to talk, and we'd have conversation, and then I'd be talking with everybody. And I knew I couldn't stop myself from doing that. Like, there was no way I was, not, I was going to be able to walk into this building and just be quiet and ignore people. It was just not going to happen. That's not a possibility. So I found myself going to a different church that morning just because I felt up to going to church, but I couldn't have conversations with everybody. It just wasn't going to work. I mean, I feel like Paul is avoiding Ephesus here because he knows he's trying to get to Jerusalem uh, by the day of Pentecost. He's trying to get there by a certain day. And he knows that if he goes to Ephesus, that plan is blown because he loves these people. He spent two and a half years building this church. There are hundreds, enough, there are enough Christians in Ephesus right now to affect the overall culture of the entire city. That's why he just had a riot that went on there. And so he's kind of done this loop and kind of worked with all these churches and spent time with people. And now on his way back, he's like, I cannot get sucked into Ephesus right now because I've got to keep my eye on getting to Jerusalem. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to call for the elders to come to me, and I'm going to spend that limited amount of time with them that I have left to spend. And I'm going to say whatever it is that I need to say to them on my way out. So I think for us, we look at this and we think, okay, here's Paul speaking you know, from his heart to people that he's in ministry with, that he loves. We asked you, what was the best team that you've been a, a part of? I mean, this is kind of his team. These are people that he trusts and loves. And in fact, in Ephesus, one of the things that is pretty clear is that there wasn't really a place for them to meet all together. So they didn't have a lot of meetings where all the Christians in Ephesus were all together. In fact, the, most of the meetings that happened in the Christian church in Ephesus were done in homes. They were smaller meetings. And the people who led them some of them were sort of like house church leaders, right? So he's calling pastors and leaders together to come and to talk with them one final time. They're basically getting a very short and sweet conference, a little bit of last-minute wisdom from Paul. And these are people who have devoted their lives to see the health and, and, the, and the sort of flourishing of people that they're ministering to. Um, and so he brings them in. And so we should pay attention and listen to what Paul has to say. If you're a leader anywhere, this is applicable to you. You may actually even think like, well, I'm not a, a small group leader and I'm not an elder at this church and I'm not a, you know, uh, you know, in leadership somewhere at this church, so why do I care? This doesn't apply to me. But it kind of does. In a weird way, we're all thrust into leadership position in this culture. The idea that we represent Jesus in a very real way to people around us who don't go to church don't read a Bible, don't have a lot of relationships with Christians, is something we should pay attention to. You are a leader whether you want to be one or not. Right? You can either be ignoring that role that you have in culture and the people around you, the people that you work with, the people in your neighborhood, the people your kids do sports with, the people that... Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter where you find yourself. You're a leader. You're representing Jesus in a culture that is every single day more against Jesus than it was the day before. Okay? And so we find ourselves in a place where we all need to hear what Paul has to say. So here he goes. He says, uh, when, when they arrived, he said to them, so they have to travel 30 miles to be with Paul. He says, you know how I lived the whole time that I was with you from the first day that I came into the province of Asia. 
Oh, first of all, sorry. Anyone, can I get a tissue? Just somebody back there, find me a tissue. Um, or someone pull it out of their purse of fun. Uh, so Paul says, first of all, he says to them, when I arrived, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day that I came into the province of Asia. Thank you. Wonderful. Look, at you even have a little package. So, sorry. It's uh, allergy season, I think. I don't know. I'll be all right. Miles, zoom in and make sure you get the booger right there. <laughs> First, I want to stop and say, if you find yourself in leadership, in uh, leading a, uh, a small group or as a pastor, you should be known. I know that sounds ridiculous to say that out loud. Like, that should be something we have to talk about. But that is essentially what happens in a lot of really big ministries is that there are pastors who are completely unknown by the people that they are working with. That is a very dangerous thing. If your pastor is not known by your congregation, that is a very dangerous situation. We'll see another section where he kind of talks about that here, but Paul is pointing out, I was in the trenches with you guys. Right? I was with you. You knew me. You, you knew how I would react to things. You saw the real me. Here I was, humble and in your presence. And I, and I want you to know that is something that when we started this church was of very high value. Okay, I don't know if I always saw that from the leaders that I served under. I don't know if that was always the case for the larger the church gets, the further away from the congregation the pastor gets. Okay, I think there are congregations out there where the pastor is living a completely separate life from the congregation that they are leading. No one really knows them. They don't really know anyone. That's where really terrible things happen. Okay? If there's not people to encourage, support, call into question, challenge, I mean, if that stuff's not happening, then that kind of power leads to a place where unhealthy things happen in a church. I want you to know, it's like our staff is, we're in the trenches with you. It's one of our staff values that we don't actually do the work of the ministry. We lead volunteer teams to do all the work of the ministry. But here we are, the team leader, the captain, the quarterback of whatever teams that is that we're leading, and we're in the ministry with you. We care about your neighbors. We care about your coworkers. We care about your friends and your family. We're there. If you have a pastor that's unknown, that's a problem. So Paul says, hey, you guys knew me. You guys know who I am. I was with you the whole time from the first day I came into the province of Asia. He says, I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Listen. I mean... Sorry, let me fix this. I think as we look at what it looks like, he says, I served with humility. I put you above me. Right? He says, I know it's right here in front of me. In the midst of severe testing, okay, so he says, I served with humility the whole time that I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe. He says, I showed passion, right? I actually had somebody the other day, they said, uh, hey, uh, I love your preaching, but I especially love it when you cry. 
I thought that was so weird. Like, are you serious? But then I started to think about it. Yeah, it's important that your pastor is passionate about the mission of the church that you were involved in. Right? Paul is saying, I cared more than anyone else. Like, I was willing to shed tears. But also, I cared in a way where I was humble and open and transparent in front of everybody. I wasn't pulling my punches. I wasn't acting like somebody who I wasn't. I wasn't taking advantage of any power or privilege that was available to me. I was putting the church above myself, putting the people I served with above myself, putting the mission that God had given us above myself. And it's something that we strive to do in this church. All of our leaders on the directional leadership team, all of our staff members, and me as the sort of chief person to put this on display, it is a high value for all of us to be transparent, to be real, to be in the ministry with you, to be side-by-side, hip-to-hip, in the trenches, doing the work of the ministry. And I want you to know that kind of team leads to a place where you feel like you're on something special, doing something special. God has given us an incredible mission to fulfill, and all of us get a chance to be part of that. Right? We just did our, our community fair, and we had like 90 volunteers. I like, Look around. It's the whole room. It's all of you. Like, if you weren't there, like, okay, somebody got married or something? Like, I don't know. It was a huge moment for you to miss out on that, right? We're doing it together because we have a mission that God has given us. That mission is more important than any of us. It's more important than me. It's more important than our staff team or our directional leadership team. It's the most important thing. And so God has called him to serve with humility, and that's what he did. Now I just need to figure out where I'm at. <laughs> he says, You know that I have not hesitated, verse 20, to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. So two things going on here. One is he doesn't shy away from talking about things that are controversial. One of the reasons why we work through Scripture is because it forces us to talk about everything. We don't shy away from issues that are talked about in Scripture, that are taught on here, because these are the things that are core to the Gospel. And sometimes there are passages that we teach on that I don't really want to preach. But we do anyways. What happens a lot of times is when you go to a church that preaches topically, I'm not going to hate on that, we do it once in a while, it's just what you end up getting sometimes is the pet sermons from your pastor who's just sharing about the three or four things that they really care about the most, and they leave out anything that seems to be controversial because they don't want to touch that stuff or deal with that stuff or create any conflict. And we would rather have the whole breadth of the Bible speak to us about whatever it is that's going on in our lives. And we don't shy away from difficult things. We just tell you what the Bible has to say. And if you have a problem with how we're preaching or what we're preaching, it's really not a problem with, with me. It's a problem with the Bible. <laughs> I could say, here it is. This is what it says. Here's what Jesus had to say about it. Here's what God wants us to know. Here's my best take on how to interpret all this. And now it's in your court to figure out what you want to do with it. That's a much more transparent way of doing things. And Paul also says, not only did he not shy away from saying things that would be helpful, that word, that phrase for helpful means like, um, it's kind of like, I feel like sometimes we can preach on things and say things strongly that we don't need to. And other times we can preach on things that we should talk about strongly and we don't do it. right? And Paul is saying, hey, I struck a balance. I made sure that the things that were actually talked about and really important and something that would be a close-fisted 
a sort of issue that we hold on to dearly, I'm going to be really clear about and strong. And other times when things weren't really that important and would create disunity in the church and we could disagree on some of those things, they should be open-handed issues, right? He's like, I left those kind of alone. So he kind of struck that balance, which we always think of Paul being like a, a bull in a china shop, just sort of saying the truth and kind of letting it lay there. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I talked about everything that would be helpful. I made sure to strike that balance for you. And then he said, and you, uh, I, he said, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. And again, this comes back to the humility issue and the transparency issue. Paul had a public ministry where the, the entire city saw what he was doing, and he had a private ministry that happened inside people's homes. And he was a consistent person, the same. And people knew who he was. And that was very important to the church's growth and to the health of that church in Ephesus. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, verse 22, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Again, some of us, I believe, have been fooled into thinking that if we follow Jesus, everything in our life should be amazing. And Paul seems to know that as a Christian, you are walking into difficulty. And he says, the Holy Spirit continues to warn me every time I go into a new city that I'm looking at hardship, that there are plots against me, that things are not going to go the way that I think, and that it's not going to be the way that I hoped, but I'm going to face a hardship everywhere I go. And he's kind of ready for it. Now, like, spoiler alert, that's exactly what's going to happen to him as he goes to Jerusalem. But he knows it. And he still chooses to follow Jesus, even in the midst of what some people would look at and say, well, God's probably not in that because that didn't go perfectly. Or like, hey, if you're facing hardships, God's not doing that to you. He's not, he's not okay with you facing hardships. That must mean that God's not with you in that thing and you shouldn't do that. No, that means God might actually be pushing you into a situation where you might face hardship and I can tell you as a Christian, sometimes the greatest witness that we have as believers of Jesus Christ is that we deal with hardships with dignity, with hope, with peace. We lean into Jesus in those moments and we show the world what it looks like to be able to deal with hardships in a way that honors God. He says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me and I only aim to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He says, I know what my purpose in this life was, is, and I'm going to finish no matter what it means. I may die for my faith, but I'm going to say the words that God has given me, and I'm going to share the gospel wherever I go. We're going to find Paul and, you know, just a a few chapters from now, in chains, sharing the gospel to Roman guards. He's not going to stop until he has no breath in his, in his lungs. You know, yesterday I got to do that uh, funeral for Mark. Um, and I just, you know, tons of his friends and family, and I get a chance to share the gospel. And I know that Mark would want me to share the gospel in that last chance to talk to his friends and his family because that was what drove him. Like, I think we often think that we have a lot more time than we do, but our life is so frail. I mean, he had a diagnosis of brain cancer five months ago and is now dead. 
He didn't think that he was going to, a 58-year-old man did not think that he was going to die in that way. I found myself a couple times this year, touch and go, chest opened up, heart being worked on, thinking, I, I don't know. Like, you think you have a lot of time on this earth, but you don't. Like Sometimes we get 58 years, and other times we get 95 years, and neither of those things are in our control. Your life is, as James said, it's like a mist that appears for a moment, just burned off by the sun. And yet, Paul is saying, hey, the point of this life is to share the gospel, make a difference in people's lives, to serve the church, to serve the people that I worked with, and I'm going to run this race, I'm going to, I'm going to finish well, I'm going to do everything God called me to do. And if only we could all say that at the end of our lives. Verse 25, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He basically tells them, this is the last time I'm going to be with you. I won't be coming back to Ephesus. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which you brought with, sorry, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs, the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when Paul finished this, speaking this, he knelt down with them and prayed. And they all wept and embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that he would never, they would never see his face again. They were accompanied him to the ship. Now listen. Ministry creates these bonds because we have a greater mission that we get to serve together. And I know for me, some of the reason why I love the church so much is because the relationships that get built serving alongside of other people who care as much about the mission that the church has been given and take it seriously and want to give everything that they have to the church. I mean, people give to this, to this place. They give financially. They, give, they serve. They give their, their gifts and their talents. Uh, people pray for this church. People come and participate in this church. They help other people. I mean, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to reach the community around us, but we're trying to reach it through a community that's healthy, and supporting one another, and we all have the kind of same mission in mind. And as Paul kind of comes to an end with them, they're all weeping and kissing him. Don't, that's weird, okay? It's, it's not, you know, 2,000 years ago anymore. Let's just keep the kisses to yourselves. But, but they're weeping together because they know they're not going to see him again. Like, they know God has started something amazing in their city, and now he's going to move on. 
And that's going to be the end of his ministry in Ephesus. I think Paul even knows, if you asked him in this moment, hey, are you going to make it through all this? He would say, no, I'm going to give my life for the gospel. I'm going to pour out everything else I have, as he says when he's in chains writing to the church. I'm going to give the last bit as I go and share the gospel in the most meaningful way possible. Right? I, I wonder if we feel like we're just going through the motions of showing up on a Sunday and just going to church, or if we feel like this is a mission that we're giving ourselves to. I, I know that seems like a lot. That can be a little bit overwhelming for somebody who's either visiting or um, someone who's maybe not as mature in their faith yet, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to make a difference in the world around us together as a church. And I, I'm not sure that we always understand the role of the church in what God has called us to do. Like, Jesus designed this. He developed his disciples. He discipled them. He left them to start the church. He guided them in what that would look like. They started the church, and it changed the world. That is how he designed all of this to look. The fact that we meet here is because of thousands of years of churches meeting together, changing the world around them. And we're called into the same mission. So not only are we called into the local mission, but we're called into the church's mission throughout history. And this is something worth giving your life to. There are a lot of things we give our lives to that is not worth giving our life to. Right? There are a lot of us who just waste hours of our week playing video games. And I'm just going to call myself out on all of this. Or playing fantasy football. Or watching football. Or, you know, uh, let's see, what else can I pick on, right? We're whatever project we're working on. I don't know. People build stuff in their garages and stuff. I don't know. I don't do that stuff. Whatever it is that we're giving our time and our life to, this very valuable resource that we don't have enough of, it's not as important as making sure that the gospel finds another person, another heart of someone who doesn't know who Jesus is. Like The, the eternal impact of that has to be more important than the things that we, we find valuable, the things on the fringes and edges of our lives. That's what we're called into. And that might sound kind of extreme. You're like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm called into that. You are a representative of Jesus in a world that is moving further away from Jesus every single day. You have the solution to what people are struggling with. You're called to share it. You're called to be part of a church that shares it. You're called to make a difference in the world through this church, through your church. And I think Paul understands that. And his encouragement to the Ephesian elders is to finish well, and he's going to be the first one to go and put it on display for them. Let me, let me finish us in prayer here. Jesus, uh, I don't always feel adequate to this giant mission that you have, but I know that you are in control. That even now you're working in the lives of people that we know, that we're connected with, you're calling us to be a light in a dark place, to put your, your mission, your gospel on display for people around us. God, would you just allow us to give what we have in those areas? And would you allow this church to continue to fill the need that we see in this community? God, there are people all around us who don't understand the gospel, don't know what it means to know you don't understand how Jesus fits into their lives. And God, we just pray that we would live in such a way that we could put on display who you are for them. 
Thank you, God, that you care about us, that you have a heart for each one of us, even those of us who are most lost. And would you use us to reach them and change the world around us? In Jesus' name, amen.